0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley.
1: And I'm Kirsten Oates.
0: Welcome to Turning to the Mystics.
1: Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. In this season, we're turning to St. Teresa of Avila, and looking at her beautiful book, The Interior Castle. In today's episode, I will continue to engage Jim in a dialogue going a little deeper into Mansions 1, 2 and 3. Last week we covered Mansion 1, and today we'll look at Mansions 2 and 3. Before we start, maybe we could just do a recap of Mansion 1 and kind of the key, key takeaways about Mansion 1. Okay. Do you wanna start there?
0: Sure. We enter the first mansion of the soul at those points in our life where God's presence in our life becomes personally meaningful to us. And where we realize that while our lives have an outside through external events and circumstances, our life also has an inside. And that interiority of our life in which God is present becomes something uh, personally important that we feel drawn to stabilize ourselves in. But it's, it's difficult because when we first find our way into this first mansion, our, our heart is still divided with the external pressures and concerns and complexities and all, all of that. And so Teresa says, people in the first mansion, they do pray, but they don't pray well and they don't pray often. It's hard to find the time for it. And then when you do pray, it's hard to deal with the distractions and so on. So it's the gift of it, but you're also feeling the challenge of how can I learn to stabilize in this this kind of more attentive state present to God. And that whole process of that is, is like first mansion. Realities, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wonderful, thank you. And then Jim, how, how does the movement take place between mansion one and mansion uh, two? This
0: idea of the, the door that leads to the second mansion being prayer, humility, and experiential self-knowledge, is that, and I think another characteristic of the first mansion also, is for the first time, we try to clarify the meaning of basic things, like, like what does God mean, or like what does God love me, or what does it mean I have a soul? Mm. Or what is the mind? Mm. Or what you know, we just hear these things, but for the first time I think we try to sort out, you know, how to understand what they mean and how to be faithful to them and and, and also for Teresa, she's assuming here this is in the Christian tradition of discipleship. This is the first beginnings of seeking discipleship. So what happens is that um it's very personal to each person. Over a period of weeks or months, whatever it is, just consistently, every time we stumble and fall and slip away and come back again, stumble and fall and come back again, the accumulative effect of that sustained sincerity reaches a certain point that it it opens the way to the second mansion, which is a more kind of interior sensitivity or awareness of the the first mansion reality, but now the the interiority of it is more clear or more kind of um, Mm -hmm. has an atmospheric intimacy about it that it didn't have in the first Mm -hmm. mansion.
1: And Jim, uh, we were talking earlier that Teresa doesn't spend a ton of time on the second mansion, um, but that doesn't... That doesn't represent how important the second mansion yes, is.
0: she she says it. This just says one chapter, but she says the reason it's so brief is I've. She says I've dealt with it at length elsewhere. So she's she wrote two books prior to this one. This is the last book she wrote before she died, and so the the, the this uh, the first mansion going into the second mansion. It dealt with at length, and one of the books was her life, her spiritual autobiography. And it was dealt with in in, um, chapters 11 through 13. And the other book was The Way of Perfection, and that was in chapters 20 to 24. So the readers, the listeners could go there if they're interested, and we could see there a more kind of extended thing. Uh, She saw how important it was to be grounded in this. So right here, she's kind of synthesizing it. We're just touching on some key mm. points in it. Uh, but that's why it's so brief here, not that it's not important. And even the points that she makes here in this one chapter, you, as we as we look at it, we can see the importance of it, these things that she's referring to because they're so practical and real as we, as we move in closer to God in our life. You know.
2: mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Jim. Um, I'm going to read a quote it's uh, from the Second Mansion, Chapter 1, and um, I'd just love to have you reflect on it, Jim. This is early in the chapter, and I'm reading from um, the translation by Mirabai Star. So she says, uh, The rooms of the second dwelling are harder to navigate. Souls in the first dwelling have the dubious advantage of being both deaf and dumb. Since they can hear nothing... Their inability to speak doesn't bother them. (laughs) To be able to hear but unable to say anything is torment. So I guess she's saying in um, the first mention, you can't hear and you can't speak. But in the second mention, you can hear, but you can't speak.
0: Yes, Um, I want to. Yes, I want to make a comparison. Let's say two people meet and one of the two people starts. Feeling very drawn to this other person. And they're, they're hoping that it might be possible to establish an intimate relationship. So, in their initial ongoing conversations, this interested person starts sending out little signals, you know, putting the signals out about, you know, what do you think? Should we go move in a little closer? And this person who's beginning to feel this way about this person can tell that when the person drops the clues, the person doesn't get any of the clues. That is, the person's, ob- <laughs> the person's oblivious to the initiations or the invitations to intimacy because mm. they're not tuned into it for different reasons. So she says the same things happens within the first mansion in a way. We're, 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 we're drawn in, we're brought in to it, but we're still tone deaf the mm. And then when we do pick it up, like we do start getting the, call, we start hearing this voice of God speaking to us through the gospels, whatever life, we don't know what to say. You know we don't have a language to express this, this newly emerging sensitivity in our life. We don't have the vocabulary for it. And yet we also don't know what we don't know. So ignorance is bliss. We're kind of, in a way, we don't know, um, mm-hmm. but we're just, are newcomers on the scene, you know. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she talks about the torment of that, and I wonder if part of that is that the experiences, the internal experiences um, are so hard to describe, but you want other people to get it. You want other people to know what you're experiencing, but... It's so hard to get yeah, it. So I want to move
0: a little closer in the first mansion too, where instead of you can tell this person wants to get it, say say here with God, you can tell they're sincere. But it was was also true in the first mansion is the person himself or herself wants to get it. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to get it. See? In other words, they they can tell the very thing that brought them into the first mansion, through love or the loss mm-hmm. of love or prayer or or whatever that was, something that touched the, a law, something that touched their life, it, they, 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 it does matter. But they don't know what it is that matters, and they don't know why it matters. They know it in general, it's my faith in the, in the tradition, they would know it's Christ or my faith, they would know that. But, but it's encrypted to them, you know what I mean? They don't, they can just, they deal with that
1: Mm-hmm. and then in the second well, mansion Jim, well, what happens
0: in the second mansion then is that they struggle with that and stay with it and be patient with it it starts to get clearer and also mm-hmm. by back to this idea of reptiles again what, what, they become more consciously aware if reptiles are habits of the mind and heart that, that compromise the union that we're looking for they're like internalized patterns of the heart yeah, so what happens in the second mansion. In the first mansion, we just kind of assumed that it was just, just the way it is, or maybe we were, we were careless when we got in, you know, and we forgot to close the door, and the reptiles are free to move in and out, and we go in and out. See? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. But in the second mansion, she says it's, it's, it's harder in the second mansion, and yet the, the person in the second mansion is better off and it's mm-hmm. harder. One, it's better off because they're closer. And they're also mm-hmm. better off because they realize the, the, the seriousness or the, 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 the extent to which these habits of the mind and heart are patterns that have become woven into their survival patterns. That is, they're, they're kind of wired into the reactivity or the avoidance or the, you know, whatever is personal for each person. Uh, They're they're Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, so in other words, there's there's patterns within their heart that um, are resisting, uh, letting go of us so we can move closer. And then we realize we're traumatically bonded to that resistance, so we're divided in our heart. And so it's harder because we realize the depth of the division. It's like, Paul, the things we want to do, we don't do, the things we don't want, the mm-hmm. thorn in the flesh. And it becomes, becomes very, very clear, like the, how deep-seated mm. and poignant these persistent patterns are. And the person finds it difficult, but they're actually better off because it awakens humility, which is a deep dependency on God. To help them understand and sort through, and to help free them from these patterns.
2: Mm.
1: That's that's a good description of. I, I can feel the sense mm-hmm. of torment that might come about. It's it's like that. This path of awakening, where you can see more of uh, God and more of your own humanity, but it's still very challenging to make the changes necessary uh, that's to, right. like, to to have a stable yeah, like, like, experience.
0: So, like that. so near is so far away, like I can tell it's right mm. there yeah. and yet there's yeah. a strange distance within myself. From what it is it's so strangely close and I, I don't know how to get to it and I'm, furthermore I'm kind of invested in the distance See? they won't mm-hmm. let go of me <laughs> and, and it has to do with patterns of survival strategies formed in trauma, abandonment, and different things. It's like we're afraid to lose the control that we think that we have over the life that we think that we're living. And these survival patterns, even though they disappoint us and they're they're constricting, um, just how to move, get vulnerable enough to move beyond them and think we can be safe at the same time. In a way, it's a kind of a Mm -hmm. trust issue I think that, we, and also it, we don't yet understand the tender mercy of God that's with us in the struggle, and giving us the courage to see the struggle and be present in the struggle. We don't yet recognize the gift of the struggle itself. The very fact, the mm. the very fact it troubles us so much is a sign that we're already transcending it, because if we wouldn't, we weren't transcending it, it wouldn't trouble us so much. The, yeah. Mm.
1: Well, well, that's hopeful is. <laughs> for those of us that can it see is. It our is hopeful. <laughs> habits yeah. and patterns. Um, Jim, uh, just reading again, um, where, she, where she talks about the second mansion on page 56, I'm not saying that God calls to us directly here as he will do later. For now his voice reaches us through words spoken by good people through listening to spiritual talks and reading sacred literature. God calls to us in countless little ways all the time, through illness and suffering and through sorrow he calls to us.
0: Yes. You know, there's another thing here, this second mansion, too, and I'll then segue into this. Um, What we don't yet see in the second mansion, but the more we stay with it, we start to see it. And then it gets clearer in the third mansion what we don't see is the extent, there's a sense in which it doesn't matter whether we get beyond these things or not. Because we're attributing authority to these distancing behaviors over the love that loves us so in the midst of the distancing behaviors. See, see as long as mm. I still think, I, and I do need to do my best to get past these things, that's the imperative. But the, but the ideology of a perfectionism as if somehow if I could get past it, see, it would just be more of me. See, I got past, but what mm-hmm. what, what I don't yet discover, is, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, is that we're intimately loved through and through and through and through in the very inabilities that we're trying to get past, see? And that's, mm-hmm. the, the, there's, these are the sensitivities that start to be given to us in the second mansion. See, the very, the, the intimacy of the struggle. And then she's saying, these things come to us. It isn't. We don't yet hear the voice directly, as we will later. at Mansions. It's not the inner voice of God, the voice, but we're 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 touched in in hearing the the intonations of God's voice in the voice of someone giving a homily, or we're touched by the in, intimations of God's voice in reading a book that touches us where we're touched by God's presence and the presence of a person in whose presence we sense the goodness of God, that we're so blessed to have this person in our life, where we're blessed, how strange it is that we landed in a certain situation, we couldn't have planned it if we tried, Mm -hmm. and how God providentially led us to this very place, maybe in spite of ourselves. And that's where we start Mm -hmm. to see like the wonder of it all, you know, like this strange providential path that we're on, and so these are new sensibilities, or sensitivities, that start to grow within us in the in the second mansion. Yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And she says uh, that God rejoices when we experience the intuition. Exactly.
0: That's it. See, because God knows where we're headed. See, God knows these are foreshadowings mm-hmm. of greater things yet to come. And so it's mm-hmm. it's like well we don't what we don't see it. I think sometimes. Is it's this? It's the thing that's the most subtle. That's the gate of heaven. That is, it's the very unimposing delicacy of the stirring. That's the opening into mm-hmm. the deeper place. But we're not yet refined enough. We haven't yet calibrated our heart to a fine enough scale to like tune into that frequency and stay there. See, that's that's what we learn in the mm-hmm. second mansion. I think with patience and humility. Yeah. You know.
1: And Jim. Just uh, a question on that. As we go deeper, is so she's saying in the second mention, we hear God in the intimations, more, more seeing God in others than, than in ourselves. But um, as we go deeper, we still see God in others. It's not like we're, we're, we're going to turn the mirror just completely on ourselves. Well, it's, it's it's t- that, two
0: things. One, as we see it in others, she's saying, too, we simultaneously are seeing it in ourselves. See? I see. In other words, we're a of ourselves in the midst of our limitations. You know, they're like they're, there's something qualitatively more to us mm. than we were aware of. And that's also occurring. So it isn't just us, it isn't just others, but we also see the same thing as happening within ourselves. But still, in the second mansion, it's still coming into focus. See? It's still coming into focus. But And then also, it isn't as if. Uh, other people as it mm-hmm. comes into focus about us, other people fall into the background. Because through the whole book, she's going to be saying that the the measure of the authenticity of this is our love for other people. See? it's uh, the connection between awakening and the corporal works of mercy. Mm-hmm. We're awakening and social justice, awakening and, and s- sensitivity to the suffering of others. That's kind of the measure, really, of this authenticity and a corresponding. Sensitivity to ourselves, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, not instead of ourselves. And so th- that's how this is sifting out. I think
1: that's so powerful and yes. a good, um, you know, something we can use to to measure each day. You know, kind of looking at our relationships and how we're treating people yeah. and how we're yeah. acting in the world.
0: And I think also when we read the second mention, we can say, say, let someone that they. they they relate to this. They say, I think I'm a second mansion per I, just, I relate to this. Mm-hmm. It's, it speaks to me. But then I go, wow, second mansion, I got five more to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, unless, unless this kicks in pretty quick, this isn't looking good. You know what I mean? Like, I <laughs> I just don't know, really. But, but but another way of looking at it, if you died, um, a second mansion person, it would be a great life. Mm. What an achievement, really, to be stabilized in these kind of sensitivities, these kind of lessons, these kind of—it's really the holiness of the ordinary life Mm -hmm. with the the efficacy of it all, Mm -hmm. I think, is where we learn this in the second mansion, yeah. Mm, That's
1: so beautiful. Um, Just looking still in the second mansion where she talks about— I wanted to focus on how she talks about the the memory, the will, and the intellect— Yes. And uh, shall I just read a little bit?
0: That would be good, yes.
1: Yeah. When the soul compares all those worldly things to that which she is seeking, reason suggests that they may not be altogether worthless. But faith teaches the soul exactly what will make her whole. Memory demonstrates the impermanence of worldly things. The will, after seeing countless signs of love, inclines the soul to love in return and then uh, about the intellect she says the intellect the intellect steps in to help the soul understand that she can never hope to have a better friend as long as she lives
0: mm-hmm. you know and in, in, uh, sometimes refer to an, an, uh, kind of medieval christian like philosophical theology of aquinas and and Duns Scotus and so on, to, to which she was somewhat familiar. John mm-hmm. the Cross certainly was because he was trained in it in the seminary. They have this idea of faculty psychology, like the faculties of the soul. And so the higher powers of the soul are the intellect, the memory, and the will.
2: Mm.
0: And so what we're talking about is the deepening or clarification, the purifying of the faculties of the soul. And so what's happening really is that we realize uh, one, One, it's paradoxical. On one hand, we're realizing the gift of our mind, you know, Mm -hmm. and the gift of our will, the gift of our memory. But we also realize that uh, our previous modes of knowing and desiring and remembering were in the light of the illuminations we're receiving, were blunted.
2: Mm.
0: And that somehow. On the one hand, we were kind of overly stating them as being enough for us. And at the the same time, in our respect for them as a gift from God, we're realizing that they kind of are embodiments or incarnations of God's presence meant to be doorways Mm. or modes into this deeper place. Like a kind of, through a kind of a knowing that there really is a deeper way to know deeper things. Or a kind of a desire to know that there is a way to conform my desire, my will to the will of God. And so I can transform my will to be in alignment with God's will through love. Mm-hmm. And how, in the memory, like my own sacred history, I've been so strangely led right up to this moment where I'm discovering these things. So that's where it said it has to do with these transformative things about an impoverished, blunted understanding. And now we're moving into a heightened understanding, as as kind of doorways into yet deeper realms yet to come. Mm-hmm. Like we become a more reflective person, where mm-hmm. the importance of being attentive in a loving way, mm-hmm. or being pay is kind of deepening those kinds of things. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Would it be right to say that um, there's a new reference point, kind of for the, the what we're thinking about and. And and different kinds of thoughts that reference to the mystery of God, to the love of God, to the
2: yeah.
1: and, and the same with the the experience of what we want to do with our will. Kind of what what you were saying about with um, the verses from Paul. Like I'm noticing my will in a new reference uh, referenced way. Yeah.
0: I think so. What's coming to me now I and. Mean, Go into him later in this series. We'll see what God has in mind. But you know Rilke, mm-hmm. Rainer Maria Rilke, Letters to a Young Poet. And this famous, one of the first letters in that collection is where this young poet is sending these poems to Rilke as an established poet. Let me know if they're any good. Mm-hmm. And Rilke says, you're looking outward. That you must stop doing. You must ask yourself in the stillest hour of your darkest night, must I write poetry? And if the response is a clear and simple yes, you must build even life's most unassuming moments in fidelity to that inner necessity. See? So that's what's starting to happening here. See, there was an awakening to a qualitatively richer awareness of a qualitatively richer sense of the nearness of God in my life. And I'm reordering my life in the light of that light that illumined me is drawing me into a self. There's like this qualitative deepening mm-hmm. of a, an obediential fidelity to this, and it's still newly emerging. It goes out of focus a lot. It kind of, mm-hmm. but you you can tell we're kind of tuning in to something. We're trying to stay beamed in mm-hmm. to this constancy, like this. But it because it's still in the second mansion, it still goes out of focus, and mm-hmm. so. We learn to depend on God and ask for God's help, and but that's how we're grow. That's how we're being transformed
1: mm-hmm.
0: by that. Yeah,
1: that's really helpful. I, I like that phrase um, that we're reordering our life. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful, internally and externally.
0: Exactly, according in fidelity to this love. Yeah, see, it's a reordering. According to there's like a higher order imperative of our mm. awakened heart mm. and our life is being reordered but AA, AA, you know put, put keep put keep the first thing the first thing where mm. Jesus put first the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is Jesus' metaphor for this you know uh, for this loving presence of God in your life, so it's that yeah
2: mm-hmm.
1: how does uh the three hinges how are they operating in mentioned to the Prayer, humility, and self knowledge. I, I guess we've been talking a little bit about all three already, but. Um...
0: Well, I'd say, see, to me, I think the reason prayer is so important is that, see, without prayer, this, this just tends to be ideas. Mm. You know, like we can write it down in a book and underline it. And, oh, that's a beautiful thought, see. But what happens in prayer is we. We commit ourselves to be sincerely engaged with God, who's accessing our life in this way. There's there's a kind of um, a kind of an intimate um, sincerity, in a rendezvous of engagement. See, and and so it's it's that that's what makes prayer so such a fertile place. See? and that's why the more we develop the habit of prayer, we develop a habit of staying in the circle of that rendezvous. Of this prayer and then what happens in the rendezvous is we're never humiliated but we're endlessly humbled mm. that is we, we realize in the prayer how inept we are of being able to uh stay steadfast in this unwavering love that's entering our life amidst all of our turmoil and um and so we're humbled in it and that humility is self-knowledge mm self knowledge that's it, I'm trying see how? I'm trying to learn from God how to join God, who, who God knows me to be, as unexplainably lovable in all my wayward ways. And so the that threefold pattern you kind of see going on here at this level. And I keep going on through all the levels really until the sixth and seventh. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm just reminded uh the way you spoke about self-knowledge in mansion 1 about its it's our, our knowledge of ourselves in relation to god and That's it's a, that back and forward
0: yeah mm-hmm. it's like and all of a sudden the simplest words of jesus take on a new meaning mm. you know judge not you shall not be judged and we realize uh, we judge ourselves all the time and sometimes mm. we're pretty punitive towards ourselves and pretty harsh Yes, And sometimes we judge others, but maybe we start to realize we're really not qualified to judge. Where mm. the judgment's already been made, but it's been made by God, mm. who's judged us with mercy and taking us to himself, which is the mystery of the cross. See? And so it's a transformation of judgment. And then in that mercy, then in the moral imperative, Paul says, this means we can go out and sin all the more? God forbid. There's the moral imperative then, a living infidelity to that but my peace isn't dependent on my ability to live up to it. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on the, the God that loves me so in the midst of my ongoing inability to live up to it. And that's how I'm being transformed. Yeah. And then little by little, what happens in the third mention, psychological spiritual matur- maturity. See, I said, that's why I say we reach cruising level, we start to stabilize in psychological spiritual maturity. So we're less chaotic, we're less fragmented, The insides match the outsides. We're more stabilized um, in this process, like a learning curve of virtue Mm -hmm. through God's grace. And we look back to where we used to be 10 years ago or five years ago, we can tell something's happening. You know, we're a work in progress. Mm -hmm.
1: Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. Building on your example of judgment, um, so if I'm someone who does judge and criticize myself really harshly internally, um, is that is that what Teresa's referring to as what well? would that be one of my reptiles? <laughs> one of my
2: it,
0: Yeah, yeah so it w- yes, it Yes. W- it would uh, and say so another reptile is a lax conscience, is I'm cavalier about her full attitudes. Doesn't bother me. Mm. See. I'm indifferent towards it or I addictively numb it. That's another reptile. Mm. And so the, the reptiles are any are the patterns that compromise stabilizing in this clarity. But let's say in our particular pattern is we've internalized a punitive voice. We catch ourselves in the act of being punitive toward the part of us that needs to be loved the most. See, the part of us that still falls like this. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're learning how to hand ourselves over God teaching us to be more tender-hearted, see, more patient to ourselves and everyone around us mm-hmm. too. Because yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
1: we tend to, what, what happens, what we, we do externally, we tend to do internally. Is that, that why we look at the matching of the internal and the external? So if I judge judge others harshly, it's likely I'm judging myself harshly that, as well. That's,
0: that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And also I think, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit where it gets even more refined. Mm -hmm. You see, if I judge myself harshly, um, in a way it's clear that's something to overcome. See, but in a way, if I wouldn't be so harsh, I might start to cry. Mm. In other words, my harshness toward myself is masking. See, just beneath the anger, is the pain. Just beneath the pain is the powerlessness. Mm. And so my posing and posturing with the harshness, really, is how I paradoxically try to maintain myself through harshness, yes. but just underneath it. and You can also see what it would be like to have St. Teresa as a spiritual director, mm-hmm. because she would sit with us and ask us to talk to her. And then she'd join us where we're at with this. So what she has to do, in this book, then, it's just give general patterns, which over time she knows tend to be true. Mm-hmm. And each of us is a unique addition of this universal story. Mm-hmm. So she's mapping out the like the inscape of the soul, these patterns, so we can kind of see what applies and how it applies and uh, like that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Yes, it's interesting to think about something like uh, judgment as a survival strategy that, 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 yeah. where, we're using it to hide something vulnerable and, and it and so in that way it's it's a necessary survival strategy because the exposure of that vulnerable place feels like it could be the end of us
0: really, and it's like Shakespeare me thinks thou does protest too much, mm-hmm. you know all this intense but what's underneath the mm-hmm. uh ideological intensity like like what's, what's that? but another thing that's happening is our we're being called to have our judgment metamorphosized by love mm-hmm. And, and so there's a qualitatively new kind of judging, see, in the order of mercy, in the order of humility. This idea of being rigorously honest and endlessly tenderhearted. Mm. See? And so how, my judgment is then in accordance with this newly emerging uh, way to be in the world, really. You know?
2: mm-hmm. I,
1: I love the thought of uh, being in spiritual direction with Teresa, and I do find a lot of encouragement um, this is on page sixty one. If and if you fall, sometimes do not lose heart. Yes, Keep striving to walk your path with integrity. God will draw out the good even from your fall. Yeah, just as the man who sells antidotes will drink poison to test their effectiveness.
0: Mm. Yeah, she's so. By the way, I want to share something. You know, um, when I was with Thomas Merton at the monastery. And it was very similar to me having Teresa Avil as a spiritual director, you know what I mean? I just sensed I was in the presence. But the thing is, with these mystics, it's true of Merton's writings, she's so, um, she's so clear, and she's so moved in the desire to be helpful. Mm-hmm. When we read her in a prayerful way, we, we do have Teresa as a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the Lexio. Of, of sitting with her. But it, it, but we have to do more on our part because she's right not there to coach us. So we have to take to heart and walk with how it applies, kind of a discernment process, I think. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, that's the artistry of it, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And just a couple of things uh, that I saw that she notes that a kind of the sense of what we're building in the second mansion, she says, Trust more in the mercy of God, and less in your own judgment, which is what, right. what we were talking about earlier. We were
0: talking about it earlier, that's yes, right. Yeah. And also this idea you quote, the quote you gave earlier mm-hmm. is, um, I would referenced this before in a pre, I don't know if I mentioned, when St. Benedict uh, first founded the monastic life in the fifth century. And there's a story that someone asked him, what do you monks do in the monastery all day? And he said, fall down and get up, fall down and get up, <laughs> fall down and get up. And so in a way, if every time we fall, we seek to learn the lesson about ourself, and where were we just before we fell? Mm. What was going on? And what is it that one more time blindsided us? And if I could turn towards it to become more consciously aware of it, I might be able to be better prepared the next time it starts to make a move on me. Mm. And so our, our fall then, each of these series of falls and our lessons to reinstate ourselves in the mercy of God and also to to understand what the what is it that perpetuates the patterns and what is it about me that's so invested in them? Because unless that part of me that's invested in them senses that I with God's grace understand it and why it does that, it won't feel safe with me
2: mm.
0: It, won't, it has to trust that it's safe to come out from behind the curtain in, in of experiential self-knowledge to see what it, what the impetus of these patterns are that we can kind of s- see the possibility of them being transformed or we might be released from their hold on us
2: mm-hmm. okay.
1: yeah. I'm pausing cuz there's a noise can you hear
0: it, Corey? Yeah, it's uh, here at my end. Is it a buzzing noise? There's a leaf blower outside my window.
1: Oh, okay. Is that okay? We keep going, Corey. Yeah, just let me do one thing.
0: It stopped just now. Okay.
1: Yeah, just came out of nowhere. Um, I'll just. Do
0: this. Oh, you know why? Should Friday's the gardener day? Oh. Tuesday's the garbage truck day. <laughs> Friday's the gardener day. So we're kind of navigating. Next time we'll know to be careful of um, yeah. Fridays and two. And, okay, good. Anyway, well, but if it's okay, Corey, is it okay? It's good enough. Okay, we'll keep okay. going. Real okay. life, yeah, you know, real life. <laughs> um,
1: so, Jim, what you're just describing—this is um, kind of psychotherapy. This is this is a phase of. Um, kind of working through troubled places in our selves.
0: Yes, let me move this into contemporary terms. Mm-hmm. See, I would say, that to me, the second mansion is where psychotherapy and spirituality touch each other. Mm. See, it's where we do our inner work on addressing these issues at the level at which they occur. Mm-hmm. Because we discover we can't pray them away as we look at them at their own level. Right, But as we look at them by their own level, grounded in God to guide us, it's, it's reductionistic, poverty So we're looking for an integrative approach for this transformation. And I think a lot of that goes on in the second mansion and then matures and gives a broader base in the third mansion, mm-hmm. which is a continuation of the second For a second, you know.
1: Teresa was very sophisticated to be able to describe psychotherapy See. in such a powerful way with the, the lizards uh-huh. and the she's Very, amazing no yeah. she's
0: really just was an amazing woman absolutely mm-hmm. and what's interesting when I was in Avila with Carolyn Mason giving the retreat there when I was in her in the monastery there that uh, they had a copy there of the interior castle and she wrote it by hand first draft mm. amazing she just had an amazing pragmatic gift for putting words to subtle things she was mm-hmm. gifted with that you know she could Anyways, a very sensitive person. Very very Uh, sensitive, very observant, very Mm. clear, and very embodied. Very embodied. She's
1: speaking out of her own deep embodied experience. She is,
0: and notice what she's really doing is she's mentoring us in how to be the same way. Mm -hmm. See, because if we take her, if we turn to her as our teacher, see, she's mentoring us in how to be an embodied, clear-minded, sensitive, nuanced. Patient, like that, all these qualities of transformation, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
1: And, and reading her, like she, she starts to draw it out of you. Like it's, it's more than just an intellectual uh, experience when you read her.
0: It really is. And you can also see that, see, learning to read the mystics, we can learn to live our life. Because we get this feeling of we're skimming over the depths of our own life. We're suffering from depth deprivation. And it's all the more regrettable because God's oneness with us is hidden in the depths over which we're skimming. We were looking at that in Merton. Mm -hmm. So likewise, if we skim read Teresa, it's a metaphor that we're skimming over our own life. Mm. The, The pedagogy is we can't read her unless we slow way down to join her sentence by sentence. So the very fact she speaks from a certain intimate level that requires we slow down the slowing down to reader becomes a prayer, you know, it becomes a Lexio prayer, mm-hmm. uh, and then we kind of soak it in and walk with it and make it our own. And yeah, you
1: know. perfect segue into the last uh, point I was going to make about the second dwelling, where she says, "Little by little, you will be able to practice prayer for longer periods, undisturbed." Is is that what she's getting at? What? That's, that's
0: exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know, Blaise Pascal has this thing about the troubles of the world can reduce to the fact we have a very hard time sitting alone in a room in silence. A lot of the problems of the whole world can be understood as that. Mm -hmm. So where at first maybe uh, just to meditate or sit still for 10 minutes, we begin to get antsy. We realize as we stay with it, in 10 minutes we're just getting started. Mm. Because we're getting acclimated to these more subtle states and sensitivities and we discover it's a kind of a new home base for us. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and we could discover also then these mansion states. Although they have their focal point in prayer, they get habituated through the whole day. So throughout the whole day, we realize we're recognizing things we didn't recognize before. Mm-hmm. We're responding in a way we couldn't respond before, and we realize that we're changing.
1: So, mm.
0: yeah.
1: And similarly, um, the the prayer, the, we can last longer in prayer. We can last longer in a prayerful manner reading Teresa like we, 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 we can hold hold the sentence longer in ourselves and let it work on us for longer and
0: exactly so we could get to everyone's personal how they would do this in terms of journaling it or sitting with it mm-hmm. but you, you could realize you could say slowly read her paragraph by paragraph and out, uh you know outline write it out by hand, outline it sit with it and you realize an hour later two paragraphs later you walk away grateful. You know, like there's just something like taking soundings, and we kind of learn to meet her. Uh, so we're reading her in a kind of um, consistency with what she's writing. So we mm-hmm. kind of, because that's, that's how she's writing to us, and we join the teacher. And we're kind of in a, an a, an attunement with, like that, and we're in one accord with her, which is a gift, I mean, to mm-hmm. realize that's happening, you know. Mm-hmm. See, that's why I think these sessions might be helpful to people, because somehow the spoken word, like uh, Tammy Simon, you know, the oral tradition. Yeah. So somehow the spoken word can somehow convey this that can help us move into the text, being able to hear her voice in the text, because we heard their voices, I speak, or they listen to you and I speaking. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of art- say it back, or articulate it, and then we can she can and realize she's talking to us that way. And I said that yeah, it'd be mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah.
1: So moving into mansion three, what what's the what what happens? How does the door open to mansion three?
0: In the same way too, what happens is we just keep working with this process. Mm. It reaches a tipping point. Um, like critical mass mm-hmm. and we realize we start stabilizing in psychological spiritual maturity
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, but then we realize there's a new round of faults and shortcomings to work on
2: oh, and she right. starts. To, she has delightful
0: <laughs> insight which is we, we welcome it because mm. whatever it is that's hindering us from being consummated in love we want to know about it mm. we want to know about it see and so she starts listing these things that we may notice that um, we're, we're, we get a little concerned that there certain persons seems to be getting holier than we are. Oh right? yeah. <laughs> or we get impatient with ourselves, or we start comparing ourselves to others that so they don't realize how holy we are. Right? <laughs> or we start, you know, and we can literally watch ourselves, you know, engaging in these, and also wanting spiritual favors. See? and not realizing still we don't. We shouldn't be asking for these favors, we should be asking for the grace of God to sustain us and transform us and to be willing to join Christ in suffering for Christ's sake for the good of the world mm-hmm. and to walk our walk and live our life and all that. But she says the real critical issue in the third mansion which leads to the fourth. See, this line, that, that reason has not yet been conquered by love.
2: Mm.
0: It's entirely too reasonable. You got all your T's T's crossed, your I's are dotted, you got all this, you got a nice spiritual library, you know, you you know, you're kind of getting the hang of it. And, um, or people in the third mansion, they do go sailing, but they're always careful to keep the shore in view. Mm. You always want to be able to circle back, make another journal entry where you can clarify it in terms of your understanding of your transformation. Mm. So she says, God starts to heal all this in the quiet of the fourth man. See, this word starts tipping over. Mm-hmm. It, but the bridge is that subtle point of sensing we're coming to the, it's too confining. Like there's something my heart's longing for that isn't found in my repertoire of internalized virtues and so forth. Mm. Yeah, that noise.
2: <laughs> it's a leaf blower.
0: This is no. This is good. This this is contemplative life in the midst of the world. Yeah. See. So, what if I listened to that and you and I both would get really angry? You know, who's that? Who's who's that bastard outside my window? Would you shut up? Can't you see we're having a mystical talk in here? Why do I have to put up with this crap? I go. Oh, I'm sorry. We're trying to study the we're trying to study the interior castle of, of Teresa. You know. So. So, uh, so, so we we will. By the way, see the balance would be like if we would avoid Tuesdays and Fridays, we keep a- acclimating ourselves to a learning curve, mm-hmm. and so we have to be grounded in concreteness of reality, but at the same time accepting the givens of reality as the place we're invited to learn these things. And right mm-hmm. now, we're invited to learn it with a noise blower outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's the that's the point in a way maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, amazingly, even amongst the noise of the the leaf blower, the the wisdom and mystery is <laughs> it's still know, it's, coming through.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. And in, in a later, I think it's the third one of the later. mansions. she even says, but the noise in my head, the is spinning, mm. and she says it's been a while. I'm so busy because the reform was going on. She was politics, and she says. It's been weeks, it's been a long time since I've been able to write more in the interior castle, and I'm so busy, I don't even have time to look back and see what I wrote last. Mm. And so there she was herself, caught up with illness, pain, pain like this. So she's, we're not exempt from any of this. Mm-hmm. We're to find, let God transform us in the midst of this, mm. which is at the heart of her message, really.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jim, would it be fair to say that uh, in Mansion 2, we are starting to see ourselves as limited human beings, like we, we start to see our limits and then in, but, but we, we kind of, it's hard for us to acknowledge limits, we don't like to see them. And then in Mansion 3, we're more comfortable with having limits, we're looking for them a little bit more open heartedly, we're, we're more open to ourselves.
0: I would think so, um, we could say in a second, is that it isn't that we have limits, but we're disheartened mm. by the tenacity of the limits. Mm. See. I think that's, that's, that's really true. And, and we need to work on those limits, insofar mm-hmm. as it's reactivity, anger, withholding, we need to do our work. but grounded in a peace of God sustaining us and transforming us as we work th- through these things in God's good time as we work, th- there is really that. And so I think what happens in the third mansion, there's more maturity around all of that. One, we through our ongoing effort through the first and second mansion, we really have, we can see compared to where we used to be, we can really see that changes are happening in our life. There is mm-hmm. that. But we've also learned our lessons about... Um, How God is present in our life as we are, and present in other people around us, but then at the same time we see this these ongoing layers of comparisons, and Mm -hmm. you know we see more subtle, refined uh, layers that are ultimately going to be resolved in the fourth through this love, Mm -hmm. and uh,
1: and does that build? Build our humility? Is that part of how humility is being built in the third mansion, mansion being able to see these parts of ourselves?
0: Yeah, I, I think it is. One, I, I think in the third mansion we learn to be grateful to God for wh- wh- where we've come to this point because this gets translated into ministry or into service or how we treat the people we live with or how we treat ourselves. We kind of, you know, it's just we're, the world's better off because we're a third mansion person in it. And would we're, we're that, we're that there would be more third mansion people in the world, it's mm-hmm. true. And then at the same time, we see these unresolved things in us. We're learning our lesson. See, we don't give it as much authority, but we're still caught by them. We're still mm-hmm. snagged by them. So the experiential self-knowledge is one in which we kind of like this, but we don't yet see that it isn't gonna be resolved by trying harder. Because no matter how refined you get, it's still finite.
2: See? Yeah.
0: Otherwise, it'd be kind of a perfectionism, like a kind of uh, thing. And so we're trying to find a love to liberate us from um, having the final say in our ability to resolve this on our terms. So it can be resolved on God's terms, mm-hmm. through love, through love, really.
1: On page 81, she says, perfection isn't about consolation. It's about loving we are rewarded by doing whatever we do with righteousness and love.
0: That's exactly right. In another translation to her, she says, God doesn't see, um, the, 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 the God doesn't look for the greatness of what we do. God looks for how great our love is in everything that we do. Mm. See? And that's that new judgment. See, that's that new set mm. of internalized reference points that is gracing our life this way.
2: Mm hmm.
1: She also talks about the importance of community uh, in Mansion 3. I think she talks about um, finding at least one person. So even if you are not part of a formal spiritual community, it would be great if you had someone to go to who would make sure you were not following your own will in anything.
0: Yes. You know, sometimes I say to people in my talks, um, you know, anyone who is really hoping to find someone to help give them realistic feedback about what they really like. Should get married. You see? <laughs> <laughs> because when you get married, you know, we, 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 the honesty of it, we sift each other like wheat. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, too, you look for a friend with whom you give the gift of being mutually real with each other. Mm. The, the friend is the one with whom we can self disclose the, the troubling thing. And the friend is the person who we know doesn't in any way threaten the um, high regard they have for us. And at the same time, they give us honest feedback. You know, to be honest with you, I think part of the problem is like this, uh, like this. And so, and sometimes we're lucky to find somebody with whom we can return the favor. Mm -hmm. We help each other. Sometimes you're with somebody who's further down the road than you are. And I think this is what we would typically think of as spiritual direction mm-hmm. in these first three mansions, spiritual counsel, see. And so we would look for some, and at the psychological level, maybe the therapist. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking for somebody who mentors you or guides you in, in uh, experiential self-knowledge, honesty, your growing edges, attainments. And then you realize that maybe you're with somebody and you're being asked to return the favor to mm-hmm. them.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but then we were, we're to hand this on and be there for and with each other. And we realize what makes the world tricky is it's it's we're, we're the ones that are often holding each other back and pushing each other down. Yeah. So we're trying to roll it over mm-hmm. to form community. And this faith community is the faith community. Ideally, it's say, in the faith community of the church or any faith community. Should be a community. That's that's the it's a gathering together of helpful people mm-hmm. who help each other precisely along these lines. Mm-hmm. Ideally speaking, yeah.
1: Ideally speaking, but it's really it's really hard to find people that are trust trustworthy and um, but but we act, we we can't see our own fault, faults a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. it's
0: yeah. yeah, it's delicate. See, I think there's some people say we're on this path. Mm -hmm. And there may be people with whom we couldn't talk openly about this. They wouldn't know what we were talking about. But we do know they're a good person. Mm. And they're our friend. Or they care about us. And therefore, we can bring it to that level with them, which is real and it's important. And then sometimes we find people with whom we can discuss these levels. They're they're not as easy to find. But this Mm -hmm. is what centering prayer groups are about. This is what Mm -hmm. deep Bible study is about. This is what prayer gathering is about, that ideally... It's the kinship, kindred spirits Mm -hmm. who gather together to find exactly this kind of camaraderie, Mm -hmm. this kind of that you're not alone Mm -hmm. in this because you're just with this person who's on this path with you. And I also think we might say that's the grace of like monastery and cyberspace of these talks is that each person listening to this is not alone because there's many people all over who are listening to this. Mm -hmm. And even though we don't see each other physically, we're all woven into each other. Yes, you know, in a kind of a collective feeling of belonging or recognition or mm-hmm. like that, which is the gift of it. Really,
1: it's, it, I know that's we've really felt the gift of that, Jim, reading the emails and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very real. Yeah, real. very,
0: yeah, real. Real. yeah really. Yeah, that's that's where it's all. That's where it's at, really.
1: One last thing on mention three. Um, she talks about periods of aridity. What does she mean by that?
0: Uh, <clears throat> You know, there's a word in this of a Chadia, or the noonday devil. And what aridity is? is and it's, let's say you're living this way, trying to, and you go to your place of prayer. Your prayer is your rendezvous with God. And at this point in the third mansion, it's still Lexio Divina, discursive, reflective meditation, prayer of the heart. You're praying, help me with this. And in that whole process, there's a sense of solace, or a sense of inner warmth or a felt sense of God's presence, that God's there and hears you, you know, is present to you. And um, when you open the scriptures and read, you can feel God's voice speaking to you through the scriptures, there's that. Okay? What aridity is, you go for your daily rendezvous, and you open the scriptures and light your candle, whatever, you're getting all set, and God doesn't show up for the meeting. See? God doesn't show up for the meeting, the idea the well goes dry. Mm. Okay? And so, uh, aridity is, uh, then this art of discernment, what's going, sometimes what's going on is something going on in our life where Jesus says, before you bring your gift to the altar, put down your gift, make amends with your brother, you know, and the the prayer will go better. So sometimes we need to look at what's going on because prayer is kind of a litmus test of our heart, Mm. but we check it out and we say, I don't, you know, I don't think that's it really. And, um, um. Uh, uh, I think I have to look closer, what it is. And so what she's saying is, sometimes it's stress. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to say, no wonder the well went dry. I'm, I'm going through a lot right now. I need to give myself a break here. Mm-hmm. You know, back off a little bit and come back and kind of see. We need to kind of discern and go with it. But what's also, and this is closer to John of the Cross on the honoritity, what could be through aridity is God's weaning us off, being overly dependent on our ability to feel the presence of God. Mm. Because the felt sense of the presence of God, well, a gift, it's finite. Mm-hmm. And so what God does is quietly take away the ability to experience it. So we kind of like test the spirits like this. And so that, that itself is its own discernment thing, like what's going on here? What do I need to look at? What do I need to accept? What do I need to do? I need to ask God to help me. How can I be present in this? Where am I at with this? And that's its own thing. Mm -hmm. And as a therapist, by the way, this is also correlates very highly with depression, Mm -hmm. with anxiety, with being re-traumatized. You know I mean? It's just things come up Mm -hmm. and it floods the field of this prayer, which is very delicate when you look at it, and the intensity. Of, the, of this absurgence of these things keeps clouding over this delicate thing so we can know it's there. Mm-hmm. And so we get help, we do what we need to do to kind of create a clearing again where we can get reinstated in this.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I know I've had experiences when I've had to reflect back on one of my patterns and where it came from and the origins of it and things I haven't c- contemplated um, in my life and and often the realization of hurts I've, I've taken in and haven't processed can just lead to this overwhelming sense of it, it not really, being grounded anywhere. It,
0: yes, and other than that, and this is close to therapy also, I think in other science when we, we, sometimes when we're actually going through something that's too much to bear, we, we, we dissociate it off because we can't handle facing mm. it consciously. Mm-hmm. and then what happens later on when are on higher ground we give ourselves permission to admit how painful it was and in remembering it at the feeling level it can well up again
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and you can get be re-traumatized by unprocessed internalized past so you have to how do you keep approaching it gently touching the edges of it and kind of work it through and that, that can really uh, happen you know mm. it happens quite a lot actually i think
1: well, thank you for articulating that so beautifully. I, I really resonate. That's been an ongoing part of my experience, again and yeah. again, not just a one-off, but yeah. as as you go deeper. You, yeah. you...
0: And by the way, with Teresa, you know, let's say if everyone listening to all this, all the people listening to this, if we could all sit in a great big huge circle and see each other, mm-hmm. and we'd go around the circle with show and tell, you know, you'd realize like being at a recovery meeting, like a meeting for, Meaning for recovering mis- would be mystics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, all this would come out. Yeah. You know, you would say that's the power of group therapy. You realize you're not alone in these patterns, and we're actually much more. But we hide it. See, we try to pretend. They say in AA, don't let your don't don't compare your insides. Don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. Mm. And uh, and so we realize we're all walking around doing some posing and posturing, so doing something. Some of some it, we need that. But at, at another level, we take it too far, and we realize, how could I learn not to to do that so much mm-hmm. like this? There's a lovely story by Eugene O'Neill, the playwright, and he says, uh, this, "This couple's starting to have this intimate relationship." And um, he says, uh, he said, "You know so, you need to know something about me. I'm wearing a mask." And uh, she says, "Really?" He said, "Yes." And she said, "Well, you know, take it off." He said, I can't take it off. If I took the mask off, you'd leave me. Mm. She said, but if you don't take the mask off, we're not having a real relationship. Mm. So a moment of existential risk, he lowers the mask. she sees his true face and leaves him. <laughs> he puts the mask back on, she comes back. And there are certain people that make that kind of deal with each other. Mm. Okay? They Make a kind of deal with each other. And, but the price paid for the half-lived life is bitter. Yeah. And, and how can I learn to be more real with my, take the mask off with myself? Mm-hmm. To set boundaries, to be safer, to learn how to take it off with other people, and know when I need the mask, but I have the freedom not to wear it mm-hmm. all the time. Based on, that's a, that's a whole another big layer of looking at this, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Jim, uh, you're not going to do Alexio on Mansion Three. Can you can you tell us why?
0: Uh, it's, well, simply because. In this series, it's not meant to be an in-depth. In other words, when I would do this with my sitting group at St. Monica's, um, I would give a half-hour talk like this. We would do an hour of sitting and walking meditation. Uh, but I would spend a year on a mystic. Mm. And so the idea here is not to spend a year, to do justice to mm-hmm. Teresa. Mm-hmm. You know, the online course goes closer. It moves in another layer closer. Mm-hmm. This is to, to take soundings,
2: mm-hmm
0: in her to sit with and walk with. And as we keep moving through the mystics, each listener can find out for himself or herself which mystic most resonates with them. Mm-hmm. So on their own and other sources will be providing where they can go to pursue that. So that's really why. So really, the third mansion is a kind of the maturation process of the second mansion. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of a stabilization and, and with this kind of refined, subtle sense of something missing. And one commentator once, Mary Froelich, she says, I think it's true. You can tell she's in a way in a hurry to get to the fourth mansion. <laughs> because that's what she wants. She's, because she's already dealt with these at length elsewhere. Yes, okay? I'm not in a hurry because they don't matter. Yes, But the purpose of this book, which is the last book I'm going to write before I die, mm. it's important that we move into these mystical states. Mm-hmm. Because I realize it's so hard to find guidance in them so yes. hard to find someone to talk about them with. And so that's why I'm moving on too. I mm-hmm. think we, we, enough said. I yes, feel.
1: kind of following uh, her, her pace around. Uh, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. yeah. Well, it's been incredibly helpful and valuable to spend these two question and response sessions on mansions one, two, and three. So, so mm-hmm. thank you so much. I, I do have one last question. Um, I remember when I was first learning Teresa um, the interior castle from you, Jim, and just having the sense that um, it's going to be helpful for me to never lose sight of what happens in Mansion One, Two, and Three because it it feels like a, an ongoing process. And so, how to how to hold the humility of of that ongoing refinement?
0: This is a good point to end on. You know, Ken Wilber has this idea of include and transcend, include yes. and transcend. So it isn't as if in coming to the third mansion, there still isn't. Th- third mansion layers of ourself that are always there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And under stress, we regress. See? Yeah, And we can tumble backwards into the first mansion, get mm-hmm. our bearings, realize what happened. And little by little, it happens less and, less and less and less and less and less and less. But it's always there, lest we forget, see? That's our teacher. Likewise, the second mansion, we move into the third, lest we forget the tenacity of these things. Mm-hmm. And, and then ironically too, in the heights of mystical union, it's a heightened sensitivity to the holiness of first mentioned people,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who have no idea how holy they are in God's eyes. And our heart goes out to people who don't even know yet they have a soul. Mm. Infinitely loved by God, see, as precious human beings that are so lost. So actually it, it, it heightens which I think is uh, the way Christ walked the streets and saw everybody that he saw walking the streets of this world. So really, it should have that effect of how present we are Mm. to the real world and the people and trying their best to get to another day most often.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, something beautiful to hope for. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jim, thank you for your time today. This has been a real gift.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad. glad we're doing this.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. Please consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend who might be interested in learning and practising with this online community. To learn more about the work of James Finlay, please visit jamesfinlay.org. We'll see you again soon.